Chapter 32 of the book of Jeremiah is actually pretty amazing. And as someone who's made their home in Jerusalem, it's quite moving too. It takes place in 587 BCE, in the 10th year of King Zedekiah, with the armies of Babylon besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet himself, shut up in the court of the guard which was in the king of Judah's house, all because of his prophecies. We then read that his destruction is imminent. Jeremiah is instructed to buy a field from a relative in Anatot, his hometown. And after it's been witnessed and paid for, and the deed given for safekeeping to Baruch ben Neria, a scribe and Jeremiah's personal secretary, we read a mix between a heartfelt prayer and an anguished cry. It goes on for several verses and is a combination of words and phrases that we can perhaps imagine coming from the mouth of Moshe or Eov or others in Tanakh. Just to read some parts of it from verse 17. Aha Adonai Elohim Alas, O Master Lord, look, you made the heavens and the earth through your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is beyond you. Doing kindness for the thousands and paying back the crimes of the fathers into the lap of their sons after them. Great and mighty God, Lord of armies is his name. Great in counsel, grand in acts whose eyes are open on all the ways of humankind to give each man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. And then the prophet calls out in pain. Everything is falling apart as you promised it would. And now you demand I buy a plot of land? And in a long response, God confirms that Jerusalem will be destroyed and expresses his anger and frustration at the behavior over generations of the people. But then we hear some beautiful words of comfort. Even though it's a bit long, I want to read parts of it in Hebrew and English. Verse 37. I'm about to gather them from all the lands that I've scattered them in my anger and in my wrath and in great fury, and I'll bring them back to this place and make them dwell secure. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them a single heart and a single way to fear me always, so that it will be well for them and their sons after them. And I 
ואת יראתי אתן בלבבם לבלתי סור מעלי, and I will seal with them an everlasting covenant that I not turn back from them so that I do good for them. And my fear I will put in their hearts that they do not swerve from me. וססתי עליהם להיטיב אותם ונתתים בארץ הזאת באמת בכל ליבי ובכל נפשי. Now I will rejoice over them to do good for them and I will plant them on this land truly with all my heart and all my being. I often have all sorts of responses while reading chapters of Tanakh. Interest, confusion, curiosity, anger, and every now and then something emotional. And I find these words really moving and beautiful. And in some ways, I don't feel there's much I can add. As the Babylonians are at the gate, as all hope is seemingly lost, that is when you should make an act of faith, a seemingly crazy act of faith by buying a field, by putting down roots in a land that's about to be destroyed. Because there will come a time, says God, when we will return to it, where we will be planted in this land in truth, as God says, with all my heart and all my being. And we, Jewish people, are now here, once again, striking down roots in this land. But I want to end with a story from the Gemara, which I find very inspiring, and which draws on Yirmiyahu's prayer. The context of the story is a question by Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, who asks how the men of the Great Assembly got their name. In other words, what made the Anshei HaKneset HaGdola so gadol, so great? The answer that's given, which later actually beca- became adopted by Shas as an election slogan, and that's a very different story, is that they Hechziru Atara Leyoshna, they returned the divine crown to its ancient glory. What does this mean? The Gemara explains that Moshe referred to God in a particular way and with specific attributes. And we know this because it, it appears in the Amida, Ha'el Hagadol Hagibor Vanora, the great, mighty, and awesome God. But then the Gemara suggests that Yirmiyahu tweaks it. He reasons, foreigners are prancing in his sanctuary. Where is his awesomeness? So he did not call him the awesome. Where does the Gemara get this from? The answer is that it's from our chapter. Yirmiyahu, while praising God, says Ha'el Hagadol Hagibor, but does not say Hanorah. The Gemara continues. Daniel the prophet, who lives during the Babylonian exile, said foreigners subjugate his children. Where is his might? So he did not call him the mighty. And the Gemara then refers to a text which shows Daniel using the phrase Ha'el Hagadol Vahanora without the word Hagibor. The Talmud continues. What did the men of the great assembly, some say lived during the time of Nehemiah, do? They once again called God by the descriptions that Moshe used, by reinterpreting the words in order to maintain their meaning. The Gemara says, the men of the great assembly said, on the contrary, this is his might. 
that he subdues his inclination and shows patience to evildoers. And this is his awesomeness. For if God were not awesome, how could one nation, i.e. the Jews, survive in the midst of all the others? So far, so good. We've learned what makes the men of the great assembly so great. We've learned that sometimes, in order to maintain meaning, or the more cynical amongst us might say, in order to reduce cognitive dissonance between what tradition tells us and what we perceive to be our reality, text needs to be reinterpreted. And at least based on the introduction, it would seem that the heroes of this story are the men of the great assembly. But the story doesn't end there. Instead, we then have another question. Bearing in mind what we now know, how could Daniel and Yirmiyahu have acted in the way they did and changed the words? Rabbi Elazar says, Since they knew that God is truthful, they wouldn't lie to him. Or another version says, they wouldn't flatter him. So who are the heroes? Those who reinterpret text to find meaning? Or those who, when facing God, are not willing to pretend that received tradition is necessarily correct? Those who, as the Babylonians are literally and figuratively at the gate, are not willing to tell God how literally and figuratively awesome he is. The Gemara leaves the answer ambiguous, but it reminds us that God knows what's in our hearts. So perhaps when we're trying to engage with or pray to the ultimate truth with a capital T, the least we can do is similar to Yirmiyahu and Daniel, not deny our own subjective personal experiences.